Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm so glad you're here. It's February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. And whether you celebrate Valentine's Day or you think it's just a Hallmark holiday or whatever, I just want to let you know that you're so lovable and you're so loved. And I personally love you so much. I don't know if you realize what a huge difference you make in my world. Showing up here and listening to the show, I know you have a zillion things you could be doing. And you give me so much of a feeling of meaning and purpose. And that makes me happy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we have an incredible guest on the show today. Her name is Emily Esfahani Smith. And I'm going to give you her full bio in a second. But she did a TED Talk and wrote a book. And she talks about how happiness is overrated. <laughs> Um, because what she's really saying is that what we're all truly seeking is meaning, is purpose, and that that really is what makes us happy. And, you know, I think this is a really great conversation I had with her, and I can't wait to share it with you. And I just want you to know that it's an important perspective, what we're going to talk about today, how sometimes we put too much on the career. You know, it's like, I am, you know, as great as what I accomplished and my identity is my career. So I need to be a surgeon or I need to go to the Peace Corps or I need to run for president. And if I'm not doing those things, what does that mean? And I hope that you've been realizing at least my perspective on this, which is, and Emily talks about it too, and she brings up this incredible research and data, which we're going to get into and you're going to hear what the true results are of what really matters to people and what really makes people feel significant and happy, truly happy, where that really comes from. And my perspective on that, I hope you know, is every single second, your life is so important and you don't realize how much you matter. And I hope that you do. And I hope that the longer you listen to this show, you recognize that even if you just make some cherry pie because you enjoy doing it, or even if you're at a job right now and you're not sure how it's saving the planet, just know that you working there and, you know, being there and smiling at your coworker and offering to change the coffee filter, like it, it doesn't mean that you have to do something Herculean in order to matter. You don't have to be sensational. You don't have to make headlines. You matter. You're adding so much to the world. I'm telling you. Most people, even if you're working at like just a day job, right? Most people spend more time at that day job than they do at home. And so just like when you watch The Office, right? How many of you went watch The Office? We had Jenna Fisher on the show. If you guys don't know that, she was an amazing guest. You should go back and listen. She played Pam on The Office. But think about what those relationships turned into, right? They were people just working at a paper company. But do you remember like, you know, the depths of what happened in those interpersonal connections? There's just a lot, you know, you don't recognize. And also, even if you're just selling paper, you might really be making a difference for somebody else because that is something they need. And so on our way to discovering the things that we love more, the things that we want to do more of, I just want you to know that every single day you're making a difference. And, you know, recently I was talking to my friend David and he said, Kath, what about this guy? He goes, I was just, I took an Uber ride and the Uber driver, he's really happy driving the Uber. 
And I said, so that's great. You know, it, the whole idea of this show, don't keep your day job. It's a euphemism for do the things in this world that make you feel most alive. But for some people, that's not going to come through your career. Some people are going to do a job that they don't love, but they like. But then in their free time, they're going to paint. Or on the weekends, they're going to really enjoy gardening. Or, you know, they just take a lot of pride in their relationship with their parents or in their relationship with their kids. And all of it has value. There's no one right way to adult. There's no one right way to be on the planet. I want you to know that we need all of those people. And I remember talking to Seth Godin and he was he talked about this when he was on the podcast. He talked about this incredibly sweet doorman that he ran into. He was delivering something to someone. And he said, this guy so clearly felt significant doing that job as a doorman and really took a lot of purpose in what he did. And he said, and he made me feel so great. And he said, it was a, the smallest little exchange, but he said, I could see, you know, I could see how this person was doing what they were meant to do. You could be a barista. You know, I recently went to get coffee yesterday morning and I said to the woman, I said, wow, I just watched you talk to like everybody who was ahead of me in line. And I said, and you were so present that like each person got more than a cup of coffee. They got like this, this moment of connection. So I'm really excited that Emily's here. I'm, I'm excited to dive into this. And I always like to tell you guys what's going on in my life. And I just wanted to say that my thing for this year is do less. I, I want to be able to catch my breath. I want to be able to take a walk. I want to have some non-negotiables where I enjoy my life more. And I think that a lot of us, we become like super high achievers. We're very driven. And sometimes we have so much we want to share with other people and so much great work we want to create. And that's fantastic because having enthusiasm for things is such a gift. But at the same time, I don't want anyone, I don't want myself, but I don't want any of us to feel that to the extent that we can create and produce and accomplish that we are lovable. So that's another reason I'm just happy that we're having this conversation today. And you know, let this be sort of like a love letter to you on Valentine's Day. Okay. I also want to say you guys are extraordinary. I told you on Monday that I just this past Monday, four days ago, put up my book. It's now on pre-order, right? I just put it up. It just went out on Monday that you can pre-order my book. And would you believe that in one day, it made it to the number one new release on Amazon? Can you believe that? You guys help me do this. My, my mind is blown. So I want to give you a few perks. I want to give you bonuses. I want to spend more time with you. And I want to thank you for supporting me and buying this book because I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you guys keep buying this book and pre-ordering this book, if you keep pre-ordering this book, which would take you like a second to click, put it in your Amazon card or your Barnes and Noble card, or you can buy the audio version on Audible. There's so many different ways to do it. But if you guys buy this book, you will help me become a New York Times bestseller, which means so much. It's not just like the cool, oh, you're a New York Times bestseller. It's that so many people then hear about this book and I can get through to so many people and remind them that they are enough and help them find more skip in their step and more of themselves every single day and find more fulfillment. So I do hope that you will go ahead and pre-order. So I want to give you a couple 
really fun bonuses. And I'm going to keep giving bonuses to those of you who pre-order. So go ahead and pre-order because you will then be entitled to all of the pre-order bonuses that are going to be coming over the next weeks and a few months. So one thing is this, if you go ahead and pre-order the book and go ahead and send a screenshot, let us know that you pre-ordered it. Say like, here's the screenshot. I just pre-ordered it. Email that to us at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. You can get a $25 ticket to my Dreamtopia event. How cool is that? Um, Just let us know that you did that and we'll do it on the honor system. Uh, The coupon code is book, B-O-O-K. Just go ahead and you can get a ticket. You'll get a $25 ticket and then just send us your pre-order screenshot. Let us know that you pre-ordered the book and you can come to my two-day Dreamtopia live workshop, which is going to be incredible and so healing and so inspiring. March 14th and 15th at the Harmony Gold Theater on Sunset Boulevard. There are incredible speakers coming like Andy J. Pizza and Jeff Goins and Sahara Rose and Amber Ray and so many other cool things like a sound bath and some meditation and some workshopping with Amy Tangerine and some incredible life coaching with Kelsey Murphy, who's been working in B-School with Marie Forleo. There's so many good things happening. And Colby Barr will be there who started Verve Coffee and he'll be giving everybody coffee. It's going to be just such an incredible two days. So you can get a ticket for 25 bucks if you pre-order the book and you can use then the coupon code book. And if you want to be sweet, uh, then let us know that you did it and send us a screenshot and make us feel good and say like, I, I went ahead and pre-ordered the book. Also, when you email, I will not only respond and say thanks, but I'll send you guys a link to the songs of mine that we've played on this podcast, I will give you guys a bunch of songs and they'll be free and you can download them and you can have them. You can have this whole playlist of songs that you can download and you can listen to them then when you're working out or in your car or whatever, if you just want to be reminded some of that empowerment, some of that inspiration, some of that you're enough magic. Um, So go ahead and pre-order the book. Send us a screenshot to hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. You can then use the coupon code book and you can get a $25 ticket to the Dreamtopia workshop. If you don't want to use it, give it to a friend who lives in LA and I will send you a a playlist of all these songs that you can download. So there'll be more super cool stuff coming, but that's just one thing right now. Um, If you guys want to download the book, you can also find the link in the show notes and then you can find other places where you can order it as well. Uh, But thank you guys so much for supporting this book. Thank you for supporting this journey. I, I just can't even begin to tell you what it means to me. All right. Let's dive into today. So today we're joined by the amazing Emily Espahani-Smith. She's the author of the book, The Power of Meaning, Finding Fulfillment in a World Obsessed with Happiness. She's also a writer who's had her work published in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, and many more. I found Emily because I watched her really powerful TED Talk, which is called There's More to Life Than Being Happy. So definitely go watch that when you're done with this episode. You will really enjoy it. She's done a ton of research on the subject of meaning and purpose. So it's really an interesting conversation about the different ways we can cultivate more of that into our daily life. So now, please welcome the very wise Emily Espahani-Smith. Hey, Emily, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you. I'm so excited. I listened to your TED Talk and I'm like, I love this woman. I love everything she says. So um, you've written a book. You've been speaking all around the world. You've been talking about the power of meaning, finding fulfillment in a world obsessed with happiness. How did this all start? What prompted you to write this book? So there's, there's kind of two answers to this question. I grew up in Montreal and my parents were running a Sufi meeting house out of our home. Um, and Sufism, for those who might not know, is this school of mysticism that's associated with Islam. So living in a Sufi meeting house meant that 
twice a week, Sufis would come to our home, they'd sit on the ground, they would meditate. The um, Sufism is really about kind of turning the volume down on your your own self, your own ego and connecting to to, to something much bigger, which the Sufis conceive of as, as God, the divine. And the way you do that is through meditation, but also through practicing loving kindness, through through serving your community. Um, so that was kind of the model that I grew up with. And I think it stayed with me. And, you know, when I left home and came to college, I, I really, you know, without that daily presence of Sufism in my life, I really began to wonder, okay, what, you know, what is it that makes life worth living? How do you craft a life that's meaningful when you don't necessarily have a spiritual or religious architecture around you? And that led me to studying philosophy in college and eventually to studying positive psychology in grad school, which is this field within psychology that's concerned with the study of, of the good life and well-being and happiness and meaning. And I really began to get bothered by the messages that we get in our culture about what a good life is about. So we're constantly told that a good life is a happy life and that we should pursue happiness and that if we do pursue happiness, we'll be wealthier and more successful and more attractive. And it didn't jive with my own experience kind of growing up in, in, with a different ethos. And it also um, didn't jive with the research that I was encountering in this positive psychology program that showed that when you pursue happiness and obsess about it the way that we're encouraged to do by the culture, you actually end up feeling less happy as a result. That is amazing. As you said it, my brain was like, that feels right in my body. Like, I get that. So this led you to want to write this book, obviously. You're like, everyone needs to know this. But what happened next? So the next thing that happened was I, I went into the program. I was working as a journalist before and throughout the program. And so I ended up, there was one particular study that was, that I came across that really was distinguishing between happy, happiness and meaning. And this study, by the way, was at the time part of this new and growing body of research about the difference between a meaningful life and a happy life. And so this study um, found had some really interesting findings. So for example, it found that um, you know people who are happy tend to care more about what's going on in the present moment. And um, the happy life is associated with being a taker, kind of being focused on yourself and how you feel in the moment, it's associated with positive emotions, feeling good. And the meaningful life had a very different profile. So it was associated with being a giver rather than a taker. Um, instead of being focused on the present moment, people, uh, you know, the meaningful life was about kind of looking across time and integrating past, present, and future. Uh, the activities that were associated with leading a meaningful life were things like uh, serving your community, raising children, whereas with happiness, it was things like going to the spa, going shopping. So just, you know, very different kinds of existences. And it occurred to me as I read that study that, okay, like our culture is really focused on happiness, but the meaningful life that this study is portraying, I think is what people are actually interested in. So I wrote an article about the study 
And I used the life of Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor who wrote a beautiful book called Man's Search for Meaning. I used his story as the kind of way in to these topics. And Frankl, the the point of his book, um, which was based on his experiences in the concentration camps, is that meaning is really important to people always, but especially when they're dealing with terrible adversity and that when he looked around at the inmates at the concentration camp, the difference between the ones who are resilient in the face of suffering and those who kind of were broken by what they were going through was the former had a some sense that their lives continued to be meaningful, continued to be purposeful, even though they had lost their liberty, their identities, the ones that they loved. They still held on to some sense of meaning, and that made the difference for them. So that article was published in The Atlantic in uh, 2013, and to my surprise, it went viral. It was the first time that it ever happened to anything that I'd written, and I started getting all kinds of feedback from people about how much this idea resonated with them. And the article, by the way, was titled, There's More to Life Than Being Happy, So the article goes viral. I started getting all this feedback and it suggested to me that there was a yearning for more, for more uh, information on what a meaningful life is actually about. So that's when I decided to write the book and writing the book, I, I did two things. One, I kind of looked at the research, all this academic writing and psychology and literature and philosophy and neuroscience that kind of spoke to what a meaningful life constitutes. What do you need to have in your life in order for it to feel meaningful? And then I, as a journalist, I went out and I interviewed dozens of people about their stories and about what makes their lives meaningful, about what makes their work meaningful, about moments in their lives when they felt like things weren't going well, that they didn't have a sense of meaning and how they got out of that. Or if they didn't, what 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 that's like. And I started noticing that there were certain themes that came up over and over again in the stories people told me and in the research that I was reading. And eventually I saw that there were four particular themes that when you talk to people about what makes their lives meaningful or you look at the research, people are usually saying their lives have one of these four things or a combination of them or all of them. And and these Mm -hmm. are what I call in my book, the pillars of meaning. So Mm -hmm. there's four, as I mentioned, the first one is belonging. So having a sense of belonging. The second one is purpose um, or having kind of something worthwhile to do with your time. The third one is storytelling or these narratives that we construct about who we are and the world we live in. And then finally, transcendence. And those are uh, moments where you kind of are lifted above everyday life, everyday consciousness, and feel connected to something very different and much bigger than yourself. They're experiences Mm -hmm. of awe and self-loss, basically. Mm. Amazing. And tell us a little bit more about each of those. Let's see if we can unpack that a little bit. So belonging. So belonging is really about a certain kind of relationship. It's one in which you feel valued for who you are intrinsically and one in which you value another person for who they are 
intrinsically. And I say this, I say, I add this kind of addendum of for who they are intrinsically, because there are a lot of relationships that we're in that don't necessarily deliver a sense of belonging because we're valued for what we've achieved, who we hate, uh, what ideas we hold, and not for who we are. And I think that that's what distinguishes true belonging from a a belonging that's kind of cheapened or or Mm -hmm. false and doesn't actually bring those benefits of meaning. And, you know, it's not like you're just in a relationship necessarily that has belonging and that's it. And you, you know, you don't have to do anything to build that pillar of belonging. Belonging is actually something that lives in moments between people. It can be between any two people. Mm. And my favorite example is this story that my friend Jonathan told me a few years ago. He, every morning, he lives in New York City. New York is crazy. And, you know, especially (laughs) the Upper West Side, rush hour, And so in the midst of that, Jonathan has this routine where he goes and he buys a newspaper from this same street vendor in New York. And the two of them over the years have kind of, they don't just conduct a transaction with each other, exchange, you know, goods for money and that's it, rush through it. They actually slow down and treat each other like human beings. So Jonathan will ask him, how how are you? How's your family? They, they take a moment to show one another that they care about each other. That they value this interaction. Well, there's this one time that Jonathan went to go buy a newspaper and he realized that he didn't have the right amount of change. Well, the vendor had previously said to him, don't, don't worry about it. It's on me. Well, Jonathan went and he made the change and he came back. The vendor looked visibly hurt and I think the reason for that is because he was trying to make this bid for affection, this kind of bid for increased intimacy and trust in their relationship. And Jonathan rejected him in that moment. And this is really important because we all, we all do things like this. And when we do it, 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 it kills the pillar of belonging. So there's a really powerful connection between feeling like you matter to other people and feeling like your life matters to you and that mm-hmm. life in general matters. Yep. And with Jonathan and the vendor, you know, the next time Jonathan saw him, he he came back and he brought the vendor a cup of tea, uh, you know, by way of kind of apology, trying to repair their relationship. And the two of them continue to share this this interaction really and bond with each other every day. I want to I want to talk about purpose because I I feel like I've often said on this show that the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's purpose. And that was something mm-hmm. that somebody told me a long time ago. And that's always really struck a chord with me growing up. My mom was suicidal and I just felt like, what is the meaning to all of this thing called being on the planet? And ultimately I realized that things don't necessarily do it for you being happy it's it's really something else it's purpose it's meaning let's talk about that how do you find more purpose i I think you're absolutely right that you know depression and and despair aren't they're not an absence of happiness they're an absence of meaning and purpose and actually there's a really interesting study that, that i write about that shows that when you look at what's kind of driving the rising tide of despair 
across you know American society, but also across the world more generally. Like suicide rates have been rising, rates of depression, anxiety, loneliness. Um, what the researchers find is that it's not a lack of happiness. Specifically, they looked at happiness. It's not a lack of happiness, but it's a lack of meaning. So I, I, I'm, I'm so with you there. And purpose specifically, I think we, you know, we tend to use this term purpose and meaning interchangeably, um, but purpose is actually its own thing. And it's something that we have that brings meaning to our lives. And psychologists define it as a goal or a principle that organizes your life and that involves making a contribution in some way. And and that can Mm -hmm. be big or small. So I think a lot of people conceive of purpose um, in terms of their careers. And, you know, maybe when you're young, you think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to, you know, find a cure for cancer. That's my purpose. I'm going to start the next Facebook and change the way people have relationships with one another. That's my purpose. And so those are kind of very grand visions of what your purpose is, but they're also more humble ones. And, and, And these ones are equally dignifying and equally meaningful to people. So for example, I, I spoke to a hospital cleaner who told me, you know, she didn't say my 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 job is just a paycheck and what I do all day long is clean bedpans and mop floors. She said, my purpose is helping sick people heal. Um, so she was able to take what she does day to day and connect it to this this greater good that her, her yeah. work does. Yeah. And that's really a key to finding purpose. It's kind of understanding how the things that you do day to day are moving things forward, either for yourself Mm. or for your family or for a a larger kind of community that you're part of, whether it's your community at work or your literal community of of neighbors. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I often hear people say, that they don't feel good about their day job. You know, they they just feel like it's not in connection or in alignment with what they're here to do. And they're not sure what that thing is. They don't know how to Mm -hmm. find it. What do you think is something that can help people figure out what is their thing that they're meant to do if they don't feel that way about, you know, pushing paper around a desk or cleaning those floors and they want to do something more? How do you think that they can find it? I think so. I kind of have two responses to that. One is I think that a lot of people, especially if they're younger, you know, in college or recent college graduates, in my experience, they have probably um, overly grand ideas about how much meaning their work should be bringing them, how much purpose they should feel with their work. And, and what part of what I wanted to do with my book and with this chapter on purpose specifically was bring purpose, bring meaning down to earth a little bit and explain mm-hmm. how the smallest things that we do, like, you know, small moments of belonging with a person or reframing the work that we're doing to connect to something bigger, how these are really filled with meaning. And Mm -hmm. so I guess I would say for someone who doesn't feel that way, reframe what you do and reframe how you're thinking about it because all work fills some sort of need in the world. And, And if you look at the people who have the strongest sense of purpose in their work. You know, in surveys, it's like, it's it's surgeons, it's therapists, it's teachers, it's um, members of the clergy. So what do these professions have in common? They all have a very strong service component to them. And I think that's actually true of all work because all work, as I said, 
it fills some need in the world that that's the reason why it exists. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember that whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's pushing paper around or whatever, there is a bigger good that it's doing in the world. If you're an accountant, you're helping people through, you know, difficult financial things that they themselves don't understand. But you're a writer like me, you're, you know, hopefully bringing ideas to people that help them live, you know, richer lives or whatever. So every, every work fills some need in the world. And so connecting what you do to that need that your work is filling and reframing your tasks with that in mind um, helps, helps. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a study I write about even, you know, kids who do chores uh, around the house, like taking care of their siblings or washing the dishes, they have a stronger sense of purpose than kids who don't. And that's because they, they see themselves as kind of contributing to something bigger than themselves, which mm-hmm. is the their family, the, the house, the home, the creation of a home. And I think that we all can do that by reframing whatever it is we're doing if it doesn't seem meaningful. Right. But you, I mean, look at the work that you're doing. And while everything you just said, I think is so important, it actually makes me feel calm when you say it, because it's like, yeah, you can be happier in this moment by finding meaning and purpose in what you're doing right now. So that's true. But I mean, you've found so much meaning and purpose by looking into these ideas and sharing these ideas. And if you were not doing that, right, if right now you were spending eight hours a day working for somebody, you know, digging holes, you might not feel as much purpose as you do right now, because there's something bigger that you wanted to contribute. Is that true? I think that all work has an inherent, you know, dignity to it. In fact, there was a study, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about it recently, about how blue collar workers are kind of happier in their work and have a sense of optimism about the future. And I think that there's, you know, there's research showing that there's something very powerful about kind of working with your hands and, Mm -hmm. and producing something that gives people um, a sense of meaning in their work. So I think all work has a sense of, you know, inherent dignity to it. I think that part of finding your, your purpose and figuring out what your vocation is, is understanding what you're good at, where your talents lie, and then using those talents to, to give in some way to kind of make a contribution. Um, For me, you know, when I was in college, there were a lot of reasons why I thought about not becoming a writer and doing something else like, you know, working in consulting or pursuing a more conventional path, basically. But, you know, this was something that was calling to me. And I wanted to try it out and, and see if it would work out. Now, not everyone feels like their work is a calling. And in research about only about one third of people say that they have a calling orientation towards their work. And I, I don't want to suggest that um, the other two thirds, their work is not meaningful because right. it is um, all work. All work, yeah. I think, is meaningful and can be framed to be meaningful. Yeah, I get that. Um, now, if you're if you have a really strong sense of calling and you're in a job that you don't think fulfills it, that's that's a different matter. And I think that, you know, there's a difficult decision to make there about whether to to change what you're doing to see if the calling can be integrated into your life. Yeah, that's fascinating that only one third of people feel like they're called to do something else and other people. And I think that that makes sense, you know, because there are people who, you know, they work at some like, I I heard a, a story of a friend of mine. He said his dad worked at JVC his whole life. Like he was an accountant at JVC, which is, you know, they used to make VCRs and I don't know what they make now. And he said that 
when his dad died, he was amazed at all the letters that came to the house from like the janitor who said that his father always gave him a Christmas bonus, even though he, he didn't own the company, or the secretary who said whenever he would go get coffee, he'd always bring her a cup of coffee. And so he realized mm -hmm. you could have purpose doing anything. You can make anything meaningful and purposeful. And all these people were touched by his dad's life, you know? So mm. it is fascinating I because I do too, because there are people who they're going to find their life's purpose, not from their job, not from making $600,000 selling their hand lettered goods, but from being that kind of neighbor to someone down the street or from just the way they show up to the people in the neighborhood, even if they don't even have a job, maybe they're a stay at home parent. So I love what you're saying, but I also do feel like everybody is gifted and skilled and talented in some ways. And so I find that it is, it's cool for people to explore those things. And sometimes I think people just don't explore it because they second guess their talents and their skills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, in a case like that, and this was certainly true of me, like I needed the the confidence or something that would kind of push me into taking the risk of, of being a writer. And I, I was very fortunate in that I had mentors around me and, and um, my, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, who really supported that decision. And so that exploration, it's really hard if it happens in isolation yeah. because, um, you know, it's a scary thing to kind of go out and, and pursue a calling um, especially when everyone else is doing something that's that feels more conventional. And I, I do love your point too about how not everyone's going to find their sense of calling at work. Maybe it's just that one third of people don't have a sense of calling at work, not that they don't have a sense of calling in their lives. Maybe mm -hmm. everyone has a sense of calling. Mm -hmm. and But maybe for some people, it's, it's raising their children or as you say, yeah. you know, being a good neighbor or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about storytelling for a second because you kind of just mentioned it and how important it was for you changing your story and the, the support you got from your husband. So I feel like a lot of people can't seem to get out of that, that negative cycle, that story that they believe about themselves. They don't think they're smart enough or good enough to actually pursue this thing. But a lot of people then eventually, they, they somehow are able to, you know, go down this other path and maybe change their story. How do you think people can change their story so that they can find more meaning if they keep saying to themselves, you don't understand. I don't have any meaning. I don't have any talent. I don't have any skills. My, my life doesn't have purpose. How do we change that story? Uh, that, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question. And, and, you know, I'll say about storytelling, it's, it's not the kind of thing that happens overnight changing your story. It can take a long time um, because the stories that we tell are so ingrained that we don't even a lot of times realizing we're telling stories, you know, we just think that's the reality. And so the two things that I think come to mind as far as how do you change your story? One is just kind of reflection, you know, and I would say reflection through the medium of writing. That's what I would recommend because the research suggests that when you sit down and you write about the, the, in this particular study I have in mind, they had people write about their most difficult experiences and for, for three days in a row for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. And what they find is that in the course of those three days, people's stories started to change and they started to become less fragmented and more coherent. They started to find positive meanings in what happened. Mm. So it's, you know, it's not that I just, you know, had this terrible thing happen to me, like a diagnosis of cancer. It made me realize how, what a blessed life I led, wow. how, how much I appreciated my community around me. Um, so all of these 
this, there's this kind of alchemy in, in, in reflecting on your story that leads to a change in the story because you start just thinking about it from different perspectives. You start bringing in new facts, new evidence that you hadn't really considered before because you're doing this sustained reflection through writing. Right. The other thing I would say, which you kind of alluded to mentioning my husband, other people are a really great way to start thinking about how to change your story, talking to other people, because, you know, we all, we all have in psychology, what's called a negativity bias, that the negative weighs more heavily on us. We remember it more. And so we're more likely to tell these negative, more negatively tinged stories. And then when you go take that story to somebody who you love, because they love you, yeah. they see you in a more positive light than right, you're seeing yourself in a more realistic light because of our negativity bias, which biases us towards the negative. So the reality is that we should include more positive things. And when we talk to other people, they bring that positive evidence to us. You know, they say, well, okay, like you're telling me right now that you feel like you can't be a writer because you're not good enough or you're not smart enough or it's so competitive. But what about this, you know, success that you had? What about this piece of encouragement that you got from a really uh, established writer? And so they start bringing this other evidence in that helps you edit your story. Um, in both cases, really what's happening is you bring new evidence in, you, you start, you stop discounting evidence and facts and experiences and you start bringing it into the narrative and that's how the narrative shifts. Amazing. What do you think people can be doing today to find more purpose? I think that, you know, one, one question you can ask yourself is, you know, how can I, how can I do good in the world? Whether that's, you know, helping somebody with their groceries or trying to understand what, how, what you do does good in the world. It, there are specific ways to build each of the pillars. So if storytelling is a pillar you want to build, then you can, um, you know, start keeping a journal, um, start, you know, thinking about what the significant experiences are in your life, start trying to reframe different things that are happening to you. You know, each pillar kind of has its own way to, to build it up. But I think that, you know, keeping a journal reflecting on the good that you're doing in the world. Those are two, two good ways to start. And we didn't talk about it. Let's just touch on it as we're wrapping up. What do you think about people seeking transcendence? I mean, I feel like some people don't even want to go there. You know, it's such a um, Mm. burdened idea. How can people find that? And how does that come into our life in a way that we can accept it and make space for it? So the thing about it is, yeah, it maybe it's fraught, but it's so important because people who have had transcendent experiences rate them as among the most meaningful and transformative experiences of their lives. There's something so powerful about those experiences. And by the way, you don't have to be religious or spiritual even to have a transcendent experience or to to feel like transcendence is an important part of your life. Richard Dawkins, the um, you know, one of the new atheists, so-called new atheists, writes all the time about his sense of wonder and awe mm-hmm. uh, in the face of nature and the natural world. And so, you know, nature is one portal to transcendence. Music, stargazing, art. There, there's so many ways to get there that aren't, aren't necessarily re- religious or spiritual, oh. but it would be a mistake to not recognize the incredible power and, and, and worth to people 
who are religious of those experiences within a religious context, you know, meditation, prayer, rituals and liturgies. Um, these are all things that we do to kind of help us get outside of ordinary space and time or ordinary right. consciousness to connect to something bigger, whether you call it God or consciousness or the universe or the natural world or humanity, whatever the case may be. Yeah. It's amazing work. You know, people are listening right now. I think the biggest thing people wonder is like, do I matter? Am I enough? Does my life have significance? And I think this conversation was really helpful. Is there anything else that you want to share with that person who's listening right now on the subway or on the treadmill or doing dishes? Anything you feel like you want to say that we haven't covered? You know, I think that I, I was moved to write my book because too many people believe that their lives don't have worth, don't have significance. Every life has inherent worth and significance and every life can be meaningful. And I think the key is realizing that we need to take meaning and purpose off of their pedestals, bring them down to earth and start kind of enacting them in our lives through these kind of daily ordinary actions and interactions we have with others. So what's one quick piece of advice that people can take home and start working on today? Like what's one easy to do thing that people could do after they listen to this episode? I would say to stop thinking about meaning and purpose with kind of capital letters, like a capital M meaning a capital P purpose, asking yourself, what is my meaning? What is your purpose? And start thinking about it in terms of a, like what is already meaningful in my life? How do I already have purpose and how can I build these pillars in my day-to-day -day life? What's one thing that I can do? Can I have a connection with the person who's serving me? Um, making my coffee? Can I, you know, call my mother? Can I reframe my work? So bringing it down to earth, taking the weight off, off, off of it, off of ourselves to kind of find our one single meaning and purpose and realizing that it, it's more local, it can shift throughout our lives and what meaning we have today, we might find meaning somewhere else tomorrow and that it's this kind of ongoing process right. and everyone is engaged in it. So whatever you're feeling, Whatever doubts you have, you're not the only one. We're all kind of on this journey together. Yeah, it's beautiful. Where can people find you and more of your work? Um, my website is emilysfahanismith.com. I'm also on Twitter at msfahanismith. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for doing this work. It's really, really meaningful. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thanks so much. This was a great conversation. Talking to Emily was so fascinating. You guys, you can go check out her book, which is called The Power of Meaning, and you can go watch her TED Talk. I think you're going to get a lot of cool insights from all of the work that she's done. Okay, now for your wins. So Caitlin posted in our Facebook group, she said, I'm very excited to share my sister and I have officially launched our podcast, The Fashion Craving. We would love any support. I started listening to Don't Keep Your Day Job in December. When I was at my day job, I was feeling quite depressed and the podcast really helped me out. I recommended it to my sister and she and I decided to start our own podcast. We already released two episodes. Caitlin, I'm so proud of you. It's so inspiring to hear that because you listened to the show, you were fired up enough to take action, not overthink it. And look, you've made your own podcast that brings you joy and excitement and you got your sister to join you too. So that's pretty cool. You guys keep it up, keep putting out those episodes and just let yourself have fun doing it. Also, you can give Caitlin some love and her sister, Lindsay, you can go subscribe to their podcast, which is called The Fashion Craving. It's on Apple or wherever you're listening. Now on to the next one. Steven said in our Facebook group, 
I performed in an improv festival for the first time. My team had the best show we've ever had, and multiple people said it was the best they've ever seen of me. Then in my sketch class, I received glowing feedback on an absurdist sketch that just flowed out of me. My creative choices have been just receiving so much positive feedback and support, and I also got to witness so much beautiful work from other improvisers this weekend. Steven, that's so great. How awesome is it when you find that thing that you love and you have the courage to do it and the world nudges you and says, yes, keep going in this direction. I can't wait to hear how much more you're going to grow this year. So please keep us posted. Okay. Last win. Abby posted in the Facebook group. Hi, everyone. This group has been super supportive and I wanted to share my win of the week. I own an online houseplant business called Perico Plant Co. And we had our first pop-up event at a local home decor store. We sold out in two hours two days in a row. There was definitely some scramble to stock new plants in between. That's 150 plants that now have a new place to call home. I didn't anticipate the turnout at all, and it was such an exciting whirlwind. I still have my day job, but it's wins like this that inch me closer to doing this full-time. Abby, that's amazing. You sold out two hours, two days in a row. That's amazing. You're definitely doing work that the world wants from you. And I have no doubt that you're going to reach that point where this becomes more of a full-time career. So please keep marching forward. You guys can go check out Abby's plant business at Perico, P-E-R-R-I-C-O, plantco.com and give her your support. Okay. Now I want to give some love to our listening groups. The two Kristens in Colorado posted a photo of their meetup and said, just two Kristens after an awesome branding photo session this weekend at the Hotel Teatro. Grace and fire plus rosy heart photo. It was inspiring and fun to meet and be creative with both of our businesses. That's so awesome. I love hearing how you guys were working together and giving each other so much support. And even if only a few of you in your group can meet up, that's perfectly fine. Look how productive you could be with just two people getting together. Another example was Becca leading a new virtual group and she and Nicolette had their first meeting and they'd love to have more creative souls join them. So if you want to sign up, go to the link in the show notes and we can help you connect to Becca's group or another local group in your area. It's so cool to see people connecting and discussing what they're getting from these episodes and then supporting one another and keeping each other accountable and helping you brainstorm your ideas really helps a lot. It means the world to me that you listen to the show. Really, I can't thank you enough. I'd love to hear what you're working on and what progress you're making. So go ahead and follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller and you can DM me because I read every single DM myself. You can also post in our Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group or you can email us at hello at Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'd love to keep hearing what successes you guys are having so I could keep interviewing you on the show. If you're new to the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you can get all the amazing episodes that we're putting up every Monday and Thursday. It would mean the absolute world to me if you would share the podcast with a friend who needs to hear this. Any episode, this one, another one, maybe you'll make a difference in their day. Maybe you'll make a difference in their life. Also, it would be so awesome if you would go ahead and pre-order my book. You can find a link in the show notes or you can go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com slash book and you can go ahead and pre-order it there. If you scroll down, there's lots of different places you can pre-order. And those of you who order will get a playlist of all the songs we've been playing on this podcast. You can listen to those and download those and have those for free. Also, you'll get a $25 ticket to the Dreamtopia workshop. You can use the code book and just send us a screenshot that you purchased the book. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you know that every day, no matter what you might be thinking, you are adding so much to this world and you are so significant and you matter and you don't have to be making millions of dollars to matter and you don't have to be on the cover of the New York Times to matter. You could just be you and you are adding so much to the world. So it's Valentine's Day. I hope you give yourself some love today and every day. 
I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you on Monday. So